Good morning, everybody. Especially if good good morning, Mona. Uh, especially if you're new or visiting us at Grace, man, we're so glad uh, that you're here. I'm so glad to be worshiping with you today. We hope to be a place of respite, hope, and grace, uh, where people can root themselves in community and ultimately find Jesus. And so we hope that that's your experience today. If you're new. Um, we always uh, take some time to give a couple of announcements, uh, so I'll do that, important things happening in our community. Uh, the first thing I want to say is just thank you for everyone who showed up to the work day on Saturday. There was 40-some people who came in and worked on the, the building and grounds, not only uh, at uh, here at our church, but also for some of our partners in the, in the neighborhood. So thank you so much for coming to the work day. Uh, I want to let you know that next Sunday is Marathon Sunday. So, yay. Is anybody running the marathon? Show of hands. Uh, Mark's running. He probably won't make it to second service. (laughs) I don't know, but... So we only have... So here's the thing you need to know. We only have one service at 1045. So there will be no 8 a.m. service. Will there be 8 a.m. service next week? No. One service at 1045. But here's the cool thing. If you show up for 8 o'clock service, which some people will, you won't be able to get here because the marathon runs right by here. But if you come early enough, there's always a band out front as well as this is a great place to gather to cheer on your runner. And so uh, just know that next week is Marathon Sunday. Um, We have our Easter Tide celebrations, which are continuing today. I believe we have pinwheels today for kids after the service, because I know that's what you've been wanting. Pinwheels, all Easter Tide, but we have them for both the kids and the adults. Also, this coming Friday and Saturday is the men's camp out in Beatrice, you can drive down there. You can cycle with a group of guys, men for, of all ages. Bring a friend. Uh, you need to register by May 3rd. And there's more info in your bulletin. Uh, we've been talking about small groups. We have a lot of new people at the church, and we want to be able to have enough uh, small group leaders and small groups to be, we want to anticipate the need as we begin to open up new groups in the fall. And so if you're a person interested in joining a small group, we just want you to let us know that. You can do that in the quarter sheets in your pews. Uh, You can do that uh, online as well at gracepca.com backslash small groups. And then the last thing I want to mention is our neighborhood bike rodeo block party. Let's go. Saturday, May 13th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., We're just throwing an event for our neighbors. We want you to be able to come, but ultimately our heart is to be able to to have some fun with folks in the neighborhood and to be able to create um, just a hospitable environment, create relationships. So we'll be decorating bikes, there'll be hot dogs, games. If you're interested in volunteering, you can contact Crystal at crystal at gracepca.com. It's enough for announcements. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to take a moment uh, to pray, to gather our scattered senses uh, before we look at God's word. So let's pray, guys.
Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for CC and transformations. Thank you for all of our partners in the neighborhood. Thank you for our neighbors and this beautiful place in which you let us do ministry. I pray for the neighborhood bike rodeo coming up. I pray for our small group ministry. Pray for the men's camp out coming up, that that would be a time of deep connection for the, the men who sign up. And as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, I just pray that we would be able to open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. Would you be uh, the good shepherd that would lead us in your care uh, to, to green pastures and to still waters that we might find rest and help for our souls. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. So we find ourselves in the book of Colossians today. Colossians chapter 1. We'll be beginning in verse 9 and reading through verse 14. Uh, this is a prayer of Paul's, and we'll be in this prayer for the next couple weeks. And so, if you were with us for our series through First Samuel, we took whole chapters of Scripture because we didn't want to miss the forest for the trees. But when you're in a Pauline letter, it's so dense, you've got to stop and look at each tree. And so we're going to be in verses and half verses in this series. We're going to be looking at just single words sometimes. And uh, so I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 14, but we're going to be focusing just on the first half of verse 9 today. This is God's word. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've been down a pastor, and I've been tired, really tired, and there's been times, I felt close to Jesus the whole time, but as I've sought his face to figure out what he wants us to do or see in this season, I haven't always heard clearly. But lately, I've started to hear his voice. 
I've heard him say, Ben, there's two things that you're going to see in your congregation in this season. He said, one, this is going to be an opportunity for the saints to do the work of ministry themselves. You've been a church that too long has relied on staff members to do ministry. And you're going to see people of their own volition stand up and serve and use their gifts. I've seen that happen. I think we're going to continue to see that happen. Secondly, what I've heard him say to me is, Ben, I'm using this season to make you a man of prayer. I'm going to make you pray because you're going to feel your limits. And as I've looked at the book of Colossians, I've just been struck by this prayer, like lightning struck. And, I'm, and I've asked God to let it lead me to be a person of prayer, a person of intercession for you, for this congregation, for what God's doing in our midst. And I want to slow down and linger in this prayer because my heart is to have it lead us like a shepherd, all of us, into a place of deep and abiding prayer. And so today we're just going to look at the first verse of this prayer and we're going to spend weeks here letting it be our tutor. This is the verse we're looking at today. And so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you. Three things I want you to notice about that, this prayer, about Paul's prayer life, just from this verse. Um, The first is a very practical application. Paul prays for other people. (laughs) Followers of Jesus spend their days praying for other people. Mechanics spend their days doing this. Businessmen and women spend their days in this way. Followers of Jesus spend their days doing many things. But one thing they always do is they pray for others. It's right there in the Lord's Prayer. If you were to ask Jesus, how should I pray? He would tell you. And he would say, start with the word our. Our Father. And then use the word us. Give us this day. Forgive us. Lord, lead us. Even when he teaches us how to pray, he doesn't just let us pray for ourselves. He leads us to pray for others. He wants us to pray for others because it is an act of self-giving love. If you truly love people, you will desire for them far more then it's in your power to give them. And when you feel your limits, 
that will lead you to pray. Think about the needs of the world. And if that's too much for your brain, just think about the needs of your family, your friends, your spouse, your kids, just one kid. Think about the needs of the heart of just one kid. My wisdom, my knowledge, my capacities, it only goes so far. One kid needs so much more than I can give them. And when we sense our limits, we pray. Because God has no limits. And he is a God who answers prayer. That's just the first thing. Paul prays for other people. Second thing, he never stops. He says, we never ceased to pray. So certainly he's talking just about He's doing it all the time, the duration of his prayer. But when you tell someone, I've never ceased to pray for you, there's also intensity there, right? He's not just saying, hey, I prayed for you fairly regularly. He's saying, I passionately prayed, persevering for you in prayer. Four times in this letter, Paul will use the word struggle or toil to describe his relationship with prayer for this congregation. This was prevailing prayer. And as I thought about prayer that never ceased, I thought about the altar in the temple of incense, which represented the prayers of the people, a fire which was to be burning perpetually. A fire which was to never go out. And it's almost like Paul is saying, my heart is like an altar with an eternal flame of prayer and it's burning for you. It never goes out. So Paul's praying. He's not stopping. He's prevailing. And it's having powerful effect. That's the third thing I want you to see. In fact, it is the hidden power behind this church's success. If you remember last week, Paul's prayer began with this extended thanksgiving for the Colossians' faith, hope, and love. But as you go on in the letter, you get a strong sense that all of this increasing fruit in their life of faith, hope, and love is held up by the lattice of the prayers of other people. Certainly Paul's own prayers on their behalf, but if you back up just one verse to verse chapter eight, if you remember from last week, we hear about a man named Epaphras. And Epaphras was their pastor. He's the one who preached the gospel to them in the first place. He's the one who started this church. And we know very little about Epaphras. But the one thing we learn about him is that he's a man of prayer. So in chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. 
Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So what we learn about this congregation is they had a pastor who was struggling for them in prayer, regularly praying for this for their spiritual maturity. And when they brought, he brought a report of their faith, hope, and love to Paul, they had Paul now, the apostle, and he never ceased to pray for them. And so we see that their fruitful lives are rooted in the soil of these faithful servants. Visible to the world was the Colossians' faith, hope, and love. If you were to look at the Colossian church, you would say, those guys are faithful. Man, they love one another. Holy cow, they're full of hope. But behind the scenes was the faithful prayers of others. Hidden prayers for others are often the reason for a person's victory or breakthrough. It reminds me of a famous story in the scriptures from Exodus 17. So there's a battle, and it's the Israelites versus the Amalekites. Amalekites, good guys or bad guys? Bad guys. And the military strategy of Moses was awesome, strange, and powerful. He had Joshua lead the army of Israel into the valley to fight the battle. But Moses didn't go into the valley. He went on to the top of a hill overlooking the battleground. And he had with him two lieutenants, Aaron and Hur. And while Joshua was engaging in physical combat, do you remember what Moses did? Moses was engaging in spiritual combat, raising his hands in prayer over the conflict. And evidently, Moses had the harder task because he was the one who got tired. He was struggling for them in prayer and Aaron and her, the lieutenants, they had to step in and hold Moses' arms up. Until the sun set. And here's the thing. In the the military annals, Joshua was the commander who won the victory that day. He was the person on the front lines in the thick of the conflict. But you and I know the rest of the story. Behind the scenes, there was this battle of intercession. And it was won by Moses and Aaron and Hur. Each role was essential for victory. Joshua needed to be there to lead the charge, but Moses was needed to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel. What Moses and Aaron and Hur did on that day is what Paul and Epaphras did behind the scenes in the lives of the Colossians. A couple things about that. One, it should keep us humble and grateful. 
Because how much of the outward fruit that we're bearing in our lives is the direct result of someone else's prayer. It's so easy to think that you got the promotion or you got this or that door opened for you because of your strength, your wit, your wisdom. Most likely it was because of the prayer of another person. The reason I'm a Christian today, likely, though there were many people praying for me, there was a group of three really annoying evangelical girls in high school who wore like the Christian t-shirts that say like, I pray and love Jesus and whatever on it all the time. And I thought they were ridiculous, but they would tell me all the time, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And I always think, man, is it Jenny? Is that the reason why? Was it her prayers before God? Where's she these days? Only on the last day will we discover who was really responsible for the things that happened in our lives. Not only for our coming to faith, but everything that happened. People faithfully praying like Paul and Epaphras. It keeps us humble. It should also keep us praying. Because everyone we meet is fighting a hard battle. A spouse is fighting a battle against addiction. We have bodies in this congregation fighting battles against death. We have hearts fighting for hope. Minds fighting for belief in a world of lies. Teenagers wrestling with just about everything you can wrestle with. Individuals all around us living lives of quiet desperation without purpose or without a future, fighting the battle for their souls. And this church is fighting to become a church that Jesus can be proud of. Who is praying behind the scenes for the people fighting their battles? For whom do you feel a burden to pray? This text hit me like a Mack truck. Like a bolt of lightning. It said, Ben, you've stopped. There's things you've stopped praying. You've stopped praying. Have I stopped praying for my church? Have I stopped praying for the hearts of my kids? I want to be able to say like Paul, To you, to them, to the people I love, I have not ceased praying for you. How do we do that? I I think the text gives us a little bit of encouragement. First, I think it reminds us that you don't need to be a spiritual superstar to pray in an unceasing way. You simply need to weave the prayers for others into the everyday rhythms and patterns of your life. So when Paul says he never ceased to pray, he's not literally saying there's never been a conscious moment in his life where he wasn't praying for this church. What he's saying is that this was a regular part of his prayer practice. 
Many scholars believe that when Paul speaks of always praying or praying without ceasing, he's referencing traditional prayer rhythms in the Jewish life. He prayed at midday, morning, and evening. And when he sat down to pray at his regular times, he would pray for them. When I pray, I pray for you. He wove the lives of the Colossian church into his regular rhythms and prayers. And so to pray unceasingly does not mean you have to quit your job and move to a monastery and spend every waking moment in prayer. It is to weave the practice of intercession into the regular rhythms of your life. And so if you feel a burden to pray for your kids, you just make the commitment, every day when I drop them off at school, for the next 10 minutes after I do, instead of thinking about my next meeting at work, I'm gonna pray for my children by name. 10 minutes. Or in my morning quiet time, I'm just gonna take five more minutes than I usually do. And I'm going to ask the Lord to bring to my mind whomever he would have me intercede for. And I'll just do that regularly, day in and day out. I'm going to keep a list of names on my phone. And when I'm waiting in the line at Aldi or Hy-Vee or whatever, I'm going to flip through my notes app. I'm going to see those names. I'm just going to do that every time I'm in line and intercede for others. You feel a burden for your workplace. You just make the commitment, I'm going to arrive 10 minutes earlier. And I'm just going to ask the Lord to meet my coworkers. I'm going to ask the Lord to flood this building with his spirit. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me this day be a representative of him here at work. You're walking the dogs I couldn't do this because my dogs are terrible on walks. But let's say your dogs are better than my dogs. You just walk and you just say, you just make yourself available to the Holy Spirit. Lord, pray for me and through me. Bring to my mind those you would have me pray for. Feelings follow faithfulness. You have to pray sometimes when you don't want to. If you did only what you wanted to do, all you would do is watch Netflix and play golf. But you don't live your life based on feelings, you live them based on values. Many times I don't want to pray. That's why God made me a pastor, so that I would be forced to pray. But so often when I go before the throne of grace, I leave thinking, oh, I've touched the heart of God today. Never ceasing prayers about showing up. So that's the first encouragement. We're not expected to be spiritual superstars. We're just expected to be faithful. Second bit of encouragement, pray for where you see God working in someone's life, not just where you wish he would be working in someone else's life. So Paul's intercession for the church of 
Colossians isn't based upon their need, but upon God's prior work in their lives. He starts this verse by saying, and so, or as a result of this, because of this, because of what? Because of the report he's heard of their faithful response to the gospel. Because I've seen faith, hope, and love in you, I pray for you and intercede for you that you would have it more and more. He's seen where God is already operative in the life of another and he's, he's fanning that flame. And in doing so, he teaches us an important aspect of prayer. Often when we pray for someone, we're praying for something that's absent, something that's missing, something that's present that we want to go away, or something that's absent that we want to be present, and that's okay. But we should know that when Paul prays, he very rarely does that. You can walk through his prayers in his letters, and more often than not, he's noticing what's present in a community where God is already at work, he's thanking God for that, and he's asking God to preserve and strengthen it. He's saying, Lord, I see this good thing, this faith, hope, and love, and I want more and more of it. It's easy to look at your spouse, or your church, or your job, or your child, and see, and see what's missing. But what does it look like to be on the hunt for little moments of faith, hope, and love? To be hunting all the time to see where God is working in the life and to say, I thank God for that. And I'm going to come alongside God in that and pray that he heighten that. That he take those little sparks of faith, hope, and love And maybe through my prayer, maybe those sparks become a blaze. It's a different way to pray. It's an exciting way to pray for others. And so you don't have to be a spiritual superstar. You can be on the hunt for what's present in someone's life, not just what's absent. And finally, did you know that you can pray together? Notice that it says we prayed. Ever since we heard, we haven't stopped ceasing in prayer for you. Who's he, who's he thinking about there in the we? The, the church community that he's, that he's currently worshiping with? Is he talking about Timothy there? Because the letter is from Paul and Timothy. Is he talking about Epaphras when he's saying we? Is he talking about all of the above? We can't know. We just know that this unceasing prayer was corporate prayer. It is a wonderful thing to pray alone. It is even more wonderful to pray with others. There is something happen when two or three gather together in Jesus' name to pray. And nothing has strengthened my faith more than moments praying with others. Some of the times in my life where I have been closest to God have been when men and women have laid hands on me to pray for a need. I have felt in some of those moments the doors of heaven open, just a closeness to Christ, the presence of his spirit. 
I've felt that when I've been in groups praying for others. The groups are never big because people don't like to pray. Oh man. And I don't want to, I usually don't want to pray. But every Wednesday we have staff prayer. And I always come in late because I'm always like, I don't want to go to staff prayer. There's so much to do. And prayer is a waste of time. I'm a terrible pastor. So I, but I always go. And they're always, it's Grace Chapel, so they're always late praying anyway. So I usually get there at the beginning. But today I didn't get there at the beginning. This week I came in and my heart was just cold and I was burdened. And I would just rather be doing something else. And I sat down and there was four women in the room. And this candle was lit. And Crystal was just praying for the church's teenagers. Praying for the life of their mind. That they would be redeemed from hollow and deceptive philosophies. That they would see the abundant life of Christ. And as this woman was praying, I felt something shift in the room. Like a portal of grace was opened. And my heart was softened and, my, and I stopped thinking about myself. And I touched the heart of God. And he began to pray for our kids and our teenagers. It's a wonderful thing to pray together. We pray. I think about how Jesus thought about places of worship. You think about when he went in and cleansed the temple. He said, following the prophet Isaiah, this is a house of prayer for all nations. It's the first sermon we preached in this building was on that text. This shall be a house of prayer for all nations. When you come to church, this is what I was thinking, do we think of it as a house of prayer? My, or do you, what do you think of it as? A house of learning? A house of preaching? A house of fellowship? A house of study? Maybe it is those things. But that's not how Jesus thought about it. And that made me kind of think about my kids. Like when we go to Trader Joe's, my kids think of it as a place to get lollipops. I think of it as a place to get groceries. They're thinking differently about what the place is. One day they will grow up and learn what it is. Maybe one day we will do that with church. And we will no longer see it as a place of work or a place of consumer goods or a place to share, but we will begin to see and experience it as a place of prayer where we pray together. And I thought, Ben, what if you treated it like that? What if your pastoral prayers weren't just add-ons? You know, like the soft music that plays so that the, the worship team can come back on? Is that what my prayers are on a Sunday morning? What if we treated them as if they were the thing on center stage? What if a pastor like me realized that when I pray on a Sunday morning, what we are doing is we're praying together in the midst of everything that you brought in this morning, in the midst of all of our fears, all of our worries, all of our burdens, and all of our battles, we have a moment And we're praying before the Lord and you're opening your heart 
And our prayers are rising before the Lord together. And so when you left, you, so when so we prayed together, and so you get in the car. Our, usually our first question when we get in the car after a worship service is, what either what did you learn from the sermon, or what did you like about this sermon? What if our first question was, I wonder what's going to happen because we cried out to the Lord today. I wonder and anticipate what will happen because we listened to that word and we received that prayer. How is the Spirit going to move today because we prayed to the Lord together? Me too. (laughs) We add kindling to the fire of our hearts when we pray together. And we need to know, of course, that when we stop praying, Jesus never does. Jesus' whole life was a life of intercession. His life was in every breath was lived for us. Every moment of his life was an intercessory, high priestly moment. Living his every moment of obedience. His sacrificial death on the cross. He literally put himself between God and us. And in his ascension, he go, what's he doing now? So he lived his life, he died his death, all in an intercessory way. And now in the scriptures, we're told that he's ascended on high and he sits at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He's interceding for us. It says he always lives to intercede for us. Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. The eternal priest after the order of Melchizedek who always lives to make intercession. We have ceased praying. And I'm sure that Paul did too. When he says, I have never stopped praying for you, he is in in perfect shadow of the true high priest who never ceases to pray for us. Not only interceding for us, but we can know that our little prayers and intercessions are backed up and reinforced by the eternal intercessor. Isn't that amazing? In the upper room discourse in John's gospel, just Jesus made it abundantly clear because he has gone to the Father and has sent the Spirit to dwell with us. We can now abide in Christ in such a way that he will do what we ask in his name and so much more. Our prayers are backed up by the ever interceding one. Have we stopped praying? Who was the person or situation that you thought of throughout this morning? You don't have to pray for everything in the world. You have experienced a burden on your heart for something or someone. Pick the ball up again. We've all dropped the ball. We're all like the disciples in the garden. Jesus just, just saying, pray. Pray for one hour. 
Pray that you will not enter into temptation. He goes and prays. What do the disciples do? That's just us all the time. He's still praying. And he's asking us to pick up the ball with faithfulness and regularity, with passion, to pray. Let me pray for us now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that you never cease praying for us. We have dropped the ball of prayer and yet you are the always faithful one. You have made it your work and your eternal ministry to intercede on our behalf. And we are so grateful, Lord. And so for the battles that we're fighting, you look at us and you say, I have not ceased to pray for you. You look at us in our addiction and need and you say, I have not stopped praying for you. You look at us in our wrestling for belief and you say, I have not stopped praying for you. As we wrestle for, with sickness in our body, you say, I have not stopped praying for you. As we wrestle as children trying to raise our kids, you look at us and you say, I have not stopped praying for you. As we're trying to figure life out as a teenager, Jesus looks at us and he says, I have not stopped praying for you. As we're in recovery, God, Jesus says, I have not stopped praying for you in our grief. Jesus looks at you and says, Beloved, I have never stopped praying for you. You are the ever praying one, the interceding one. And you enter our hearts today. And you let us know that you're with us and for us. And you call us alongside you into this ministry. And so would you start a little spark of flame on the altar of our our hearts? Would you fan it by your spirit so that it would become an, an eternal burning blaze of prayer? Every heart an altar of prayer for you and your kingdom so that we might be a house of prayer for all nations. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen.